This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. Isabel Allende, thank you so much for joining us on Poured Over. You made a massive splash with readers in 1982 with the House of the Spirits, and Violetta is just out now. It is the story of a 100-year-old woman told by her in the first person. So it's a little bit of a departure from your last book, A Long Petal of the Sea, which was told in the third person. Would you set this book up for listeners, please? The whole thing started when my mom died. My mother died before the pandemic. She was born in 1920. Which at that time, the influenza pandemic that had started in 1918 in Europe peaked in South America. So my mother was born in one pandemic and died shortly before another one. And when she died, because we were so close and many people said you should write about your mom, but she was a wonderful human being, but did not have an extraordinary life. And being a fiction writer, I want adventure. I want drama. I want tragedy. (laughs) I want death and blood. So (laughs) I ended up writing a book about a woman, Violeta, that is like my mother physically. She's a beautiful woman, intelligent, um, savvy. And that was my mom. But the difference is that Violeta can support herself. She always makes a living. And my mother was always dependent. And I cannot tell you the the difference that that makes in a life because my mother was always submissive in a way and and angry because of that. Would you describe this as your most personal book to date? Also, I did just finish rereading The Soul of a Woman, and that may be informing a little bit of where I came from while I was reading. Well, I don't know if it's very personal because I've written memoirs and those are really, really Mm -hmm. personal. So personal, in fact, that my son asked me never to write another memoir because he says, I don't want to be in your books and I don't want the family exposed. So, okay, I'm not going to do that. Some of the characters in Violeta are inspired by people that have been in my life in the last couple of decades. For example, uh, the character of Nieves. The, the daughter is based loosely on my former husband's daughter. She was my stepdaughter and she died very young. And part of her tragic life is Nieves' life in the book. Violetta is born in 1920 in an unnamed capital city in an unnamed Latin American country. So it could be Argentina, it could be Chile, it could be. Uruguay. It could possibly even be Peru. Yeah. I mean, it could be anywhere, right? Yeah. But Violetta's dad, well, he's not the most trustworthy guy. He's taken over the family home and he's sort of cut his siblings out and he's trying to make a go of it as a businessman and he's not particularly great at it. And then the crash of 29 happens. And this is where the family's fortunes change. Jose Antonio, Mm-hmm. is his oldest son. He brings him into the business. And the kid has a much better head for business than dad. Dad is much more concerned about what people, and dad is not good at this. Yeah. And he has a very iffy accounting. So of course he gets in trouble because he's in debt constantly. And this is where his widow and his oldest son and his youngest child, who's his only daughter, Violetta, are rescued by a family in a tiny farming town. 
Essentially, yes. they go to the one place they can to live because they can't stay in the house. The house has been reclaimed by the bank. There is no other place for them to go. And you call this section of the book exile. <laughs> because that's how they call it. They feel that they have been exiled. Uh, they are refugees in this farm in the South. And then we will learn that it's really paradise for them. It, it's, it's a refuge. It's a place where she grows and has a very happy childhood in spite of everything that has happened. So it's not sort of ironic that she, they would call it exile. But the more comfortable they are, the more the world around them changes. And you're bringing in major points of world history. We've got World War II. We've got political upheaval in whichever country we might be in, because Latin America has a track record for this. We have Operation Condor, which was not the U.S.'s finest moment, where the U.S. government decided to intervene in ways that were not helpful to Latin American countries. Yeah. Supporting and dictatorships and authoritarian governments and military coups that really perpetrated atrocities in Latin America, and not to mention Central America, which was even worse. The disappeared make an appearance in this novel as well. There is a lot of turmoil, and yet Violetta makes a life for herself. And she marries a German immigrant at one point, which turns out not to be the best thing. And she keeps asking him for an annulment, and he keeps refusing, and she keeps asking. And then finally, she just leaves because she's met someone much more interesting. She's a little ahead of her time, Violetta. Completely ahead of her time. But you know what? In a way, that happened to my mom. She was born in a country where there was no divorce. And married very young, as young women married then. Had three children in four years. Three of the three children in diapers. The, the, my, my youngest brother was premature and he was a newborn baby when my father left. So my, and my mother had to fend for herself and her children and went back to live with my, my grandfather. So I grew up with my grandfather. And, and then years later, my mother married my stepfather. Or she didn't marry him. She got together with him because there was no annulment for him. My mother was able to annul her marriage, but he could not. So they could never marry. And they lived together for 65 years. And he was not the, the, the character that Julian is in the book, but there is a lot of him there. You know, the, the debonair, the charm, and also authoritarian and, and sometimes psychologically abusive. He was not never violent with her. Okay. Well, Julian, the man that Violetta takes up with, yeah. turns out to be also a bit of a cad, only much more dangerous than her father ever yeah, of could have course. Been. He ends up involved with the mafia. <laughs> and you cover the fall of Batista in Cuba. Yeah. <laughs> you get to go to Las Vegas when the mafia are taking over Las Vegas. I mean, this is, the scope of this novel is really epic and really does cover the 20th century. It covers, yeah, the highlights here and there. Many of my novels have been described as epic. First of all, I've never written a story of characters that are not impacted dramatically by social and political events because they are in a place at a time when things happen. And in my own life, I did not have control over the events that really changed my destiny. 
so because I've lived that experience over and over in my life and I have started from scratch and I have been always displaced, it's very hard for me to create a story in which two characters are in an apartment fighting over a bad marriage. <laughs> I Fine, fight over the marriage, but outside there are protests and revolutions and, and, and war and earthquakes. Things are happening. The, the, you don't live in a bubble. So uh, in the case of Violeta, she's out there in the world and the world affects every step of her life. Did you start with her or did you start with the world knowing that these are also the major moments in your mother's life? I started with her. I started with her because I knew the chronology very well. I had my mother's letters and I was part of the 20th century. When Violeta is an adult, that's when I was born. So much of her adult life, I would have witnessed as I witnessed my mother's. Does that make it easier for you to write a novel or does it make it harder because you're trying to step back a little bit and let your character experience what she's going to experience and not necessarily through your eyes specifically? When I start a book, sometimes because I've written so many historical novels, I have uh, a place, a time and possibly an event. Let's say the Second World War. Uh, that's my foundation. And then I start creating these characters that are most of them based or inspired by real people. And in the, the first few weeks, I really don't have any control of, over the story. I don't know where I'm going. I don't have the narrative voice. I don't have anything except the research. At some point, the characters start to do things that are unexpected. They become people. I can see them. And then when that happens, I know that I'm on, on, the, on the good track, that, that I will be able to write the book because the characters have taken over. And in the case of Violeta, she started to grow. I, I, at the beginning, she was just a little girl that was born in 1920 during the pandemic. That's all I knew. Mm. Who was she and why or how? I didn't know. And then the, the book begins with her addressing the person who she's sending the letter to. But I wrote that at the end of the book. I didn't start like that. <laughs> the women, and not just Violetta, the, the women in this book, her aunts, her mother. The governess. <laughs> oh, the governess. I love, I love Miss Taylor. But they're all so different from each other. They're all so vocal in their humanity. It's really great to see because they're not some of them look at Violetta and say, I don't know what to do with you. Some of them look at her and say, huh, you might be okay. I mean, Lucinda is part of the couple that takes them in and she and her husband end up taking Violetta with them to teach mobile school, which I thought was a pretty great touch. <laughs> the men clearly have more freedom of movement in ways that are true to the time and, and true to the location. And Violetta seems to be one of the few. Her former nanny slash tutor, Miss Taylor, seems to be one. We meet a couple of women who are trying to change the world and certainly change their place in it. But then there are other women who are still kind of stuck. Most of the women happens. at that time were stuck. Hmm. In South America, in the 20s, 30s, only a few women had proper education, the skills to work and support themselves and their children, very few. And in the social class where Violeta was born, women were not supposed to work ever. 
they were going to be supported by their parents first and then husbands, and eventually, if they are widows, by their children. Did anything actually surprise you while you were working on this novel? It seems like you knew the terrain so well, not just of her life, but of the communities that she's part of. No, I researched some. I researched about the indigenous people that that live near the farm. Of course, I had to research about the mafia and Las Vegas and the casinos and all that. (laughs) But I did not have to research at all about the drug world, which I knew very, very well. What's your research process like? I know you start your novels on January, January 8th. 8th. So that's Saturday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is next Saturday. I can't, I'm, I'm terrified already. <laughs> you have something in mind. Uh, until I sit down and start writing and I don't open a vein, let's say. I bleed the words. I'm not sure of anything because every book is different. Every book has different requirements. I know that in all of them, my demons, my memory, my experience is there. So when people say, do you think that some of the characters resemble you or are inspired by your own life? Every author is in every book. Because why do we write that book and not another book? It's because we care for that. Because it, it is important to us. Most of the time, why, why do I write about the past? Historical events are so important to me because I'm trying to understand the present and project what might happen in the future. And that's why the past interests me so much. You have a great line, too, from an old interview where you said memory and imagination are essentially the same thing. They are. They are, they are essentially the same process in the mind. And if you think about it, most of what you remember, you cannot even prove it. And if someone who was with you in that moment, in that very same place, might remember it differently or might not remember it at all. So, of course, it's very close to what we care for. We remember more what impacts us emotionally. And that's what all of your novels have been about. You've always used the context of family to talk about freedom and to talk about redemption and injustice. It's always been centered in the emotion for you. I mean, yes, you've done a lot of research for this book. Yes, there are these major points, as we've mentioned previously. But it is ultimately always about how the writing makes you feel. I end up writing about what I really care for at that moment. So there are certain themes that are in all my books. So I assume that I have cared about that all my life. And as you mentioned, justice is one thing that is important for me, violence, death, love, loyalty. That's really important. Solidarity, especially between women, the underdog, the people who are not sheltered by the big umbrella of the establishment, the people who are marginalized, those I'm I'm interested in, and the bonds between them. You've also in the past talked about the difference between writing a story and the fact that you can teach someone to write a story, but that storytelling itself you have it or you don't, I think is the simplest way to explain it. It's like music. I think that we can all learn music, to read music and maybe play an instrument. But there are some people who have it in their blood. They pick up the instrument and they will play the same thing, but it sounds different. Everybody can sing, but sing beautifully. You are born with it or you are not. 
And I think that storytelling is like an ear for the highlights and the lowlights of life. And you ignore all the grace in between. Are you mapping out plot points as you go? Because the pacing in this book is really terrific. And if you've listened to more than one episode of Portover, you'll notice that pacing is a thing that I really look for as a reader. And pacing, it's something that impacts literary fiction, certainly genre fiction, but pacing, you have an incredible sense of timing in your novels. And I'm wondering, is that something that you just know because you've been doing this for decades at this point? Or is that something that comes out more in the editing process? That's part of the storytelling that we were talking about, because I, I, could, I was able to do that with my first novel, The House of the Spirits, when I had absolutely no experience in writing. I had never taken a class. I, I had never read a review. I knew nothing about the book industry. I was living in Venezuela and working in a school. Timing, as you call it, comes naturally. And when I tell a story that happened, I tell it to an an audience or simply at home to my husband, I know what to omit. What doesn't matter. Instinctively, I know how to reach the highlight. And the highlight is where the emotional truth lives, right? Yeah, you have to build the story to get there. But you're right. That's where you get the emotion. Like your previous books, Violetta has quite a large cast of characters. And people come and go and they resurface sometimes when you expect it, sometimes when you don't. But you never lose sight of Violetta. It's always her story. How much fun was it to write this book for you? I mean, even there are some dark moments in the book, but she's her own woman. She is her own person. She is a businesswoman. She's a wife. She's a mother. She's a lover. She's got a whole of it happening. I had a lot of fun. (laughs) And I do hope that the reader will have fun reading her story as well. I usually write in third person because it's easier. You can get into the brain and the heart of all the characters simultaneously. When you are writing in first person, you only know the protagonist. Uh, But I had fun with that. It's a wonderful voice. I became her. In certain moments, I said, what would I do? Did anything frustrate you while you were writing Violetta, though? Because there are moments where it's very intense and needs to be for the story. I mean, there are things you cannot ignore in this world. When I write, nothing frustrates me except if it is needed, a long description of something that is not very interesting, but is relevant to the story. And it doesn't happen in this book. Because she's remembering, and we said before, memory is very close to imagination. She is choosing what to tell. And it is her choice. Probably there is a lot that she doesn't tell. And there is a lot that she exaggerates or she, or she changes in order to look better. She has a great line, actually, in the opening note that she's writing on top of this very long letter. She says, I think you'll see that my life story is worthy of a novel because of my sins more than my virtues. <laughs> and the, one of the things I love about this character is she's just who she is. She owns it. She's not perfect. She's not looking to be perfect. She does want to take care of herself. She wants to take care of her family. She, does she doesn't fall in put love. up with a lot of stuff. You know, there are moments in her life when she decides, okay, basta, enough is enough. 
and and that comes from from my own life because I have been in moments like that in my life when suddenly I realize that something is profoundly wrong and I am able to step out of it and and just change some and I never look back. Have you ever walked away from a book you were writing? No. I've never started a book that I have not finished. I have taken notes about possible stories that I might write by hand on a piece of paper, and that may be still there in the closet and I forgot where it is. But once I start on January 8th with the project, I know that if I show up every day, I will be able to write. Is writing home for you? I mean, you've talked about that being an outsider when you were an adolescent and you certainly moved around a lot when you were a child. Your mother's partner was a diplomat and you've lived in Lebanon and you've lived in other places. But is writing ultimately what's home? Yeah, people ask me all the time, is California home, Chile? Where is your home? It's where the loved ones are. Now that my parents are dead, my love is my son, Nicolas, my husband, my daughter-in-law, and two dogs. And I don't count my grandchildren because they are adults and they have their own lives. But I will always be around 12 or 15 minutes away from my son. (laughs) That's that's how close I am. (laughs) And uh, we get along perfectly, thank God. That's my home. If Nico decides to move to Bora Bora, I will go behind because I want to be and I want to die near him. When my grandchildren were little, they used to say that I have a village in my head and I live in the village. And it's true. The books are the village because it's so many people, so many stories. And I am part of all that. Do you have a favorite character? From this novel, or is it really just all about Violetta? Is there anyone else who snuck up on you? Yeah, I like Miss Taylor a lot. I've never known anybody like her. She's a, a mixture of two or three people that I have known, but I like her. Miss Taylor answers a newspaper ad for an English governess that uh, Violetta's dad places in the newspaper, and she shows up, and she's not what they expect, and. <laughs> But she ends up being part of the family and she ends up giving Violetta very good advice and very wise counsel. She actually saves the family. Yeah. She's really terrific. She's really, really terrific. Do you have a favorite moment from this book? Yeah, I think that her relationship with that American sort of bodyguard. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> I, I just imagine. These two people that are so absolutely different, they meet in such horrible circumstances. And he provides for her something so unusual, never asks a question, takes her as she is. And and she never finds out who he really is. He, He eventually dies and she doesn't know anything about him. So, uh, and also he, he's a savior. He comes to save her and her daughter. So I, I just like that character. Although if I met him in real life, I would have thought, oh God, he's just a bully. And a, but he wasn't. I want to go back to your first novel for just a second, The House of the Spirits, which is a major influence for a lot of writers, including Madeline Miller, who wrote Circe and Song of Achilles. She loves, loves that book. And you've talked about Neruda's influence 
on you. And certainly he was even in your last book. But who are some of the writers that you've sort of held close as you've continued your career? I belong to the first generation of Latin American writers to come to adulthood reading the great writers of the boom of Latin American literature. And that was between the 60s and the 80s. They were all men. It's a male event. I wrote The House of the Spirits in 1982. I mean, it was published in 1982 in Spanish. And that was more or less at the end of this boom that had lasted two decades and had impacted the world. People said, this is the only feminine voice in the boom. And then immediately the critics said, no, she doesn't belong to the boom. She is post-boom. Being post-something is not nice. But in any case, the boom was just them. And I grew up reading them. So I'm sure that all of them were a big influence. And I would mention at least Jose Donoso, Cayuela, of course, Garcia Marquez. They were a, a big influence, I'm sure. But I also, before then, when I was younger, a, teen, a, a child and a teenager and a young woman, I read a lot of fiction, Russian novelists, uh, adventure literature. I remember the first book that had no illustrations that I read because I started reading when I was around five. And I remember reading Jack London's The Call of the Wild. And I still remember the name of the dog. It was called Buck. The tragedy of the dog, the mistreatment of the dog, how it impacted me. So I remember some of the books that I read as a very young person. And the book that influenced me, I think, the most and I would say that it reflects on what I write today, was a one, 1001 Nights, which I read when I was 14, hiding in a closet, because my stepfather had these four beautiful leather-bound volumes locked inside the closet because it was supposed to be erotic. And I was the kind of kid that would read anything, you know. I would read the Bible, I would read the telephone book, anything. So he hid it from me. Being a diplomat, he had to go almost every night out for cocktails or dinners. And I managed to open the closet every time. So I could read the book, but I could not mark the pages. So I was jumping from one story to the other, whatever pages I could read in one, in one sitting with a flashlight inside the closet. What I understood, I don't think I understood much, but just putting together the stories, following this narrative that was so rich in, in color and, and smell and everything while living in Lebanon inside an apartment. I couldn't go out because girls didn't go out. And you could hear the, the calling of the mosque and you could hear the sheep on the street and smell the spices. All that mixture of eroticism and fantasy is what marked me as a reader. If I find that in a book, I'm always fascinated. And in one way or another, it's always in my writing too. Do you start with place or do you start with an idea that you want to talk about X, Y, or Z in a moment kind of thing? When, when it's a historical novel, I start with a place and a time. That gives me so much. That's why I love that genre. And if I have a strong character, for example, I wrote a novel about the conquest of Chile, 110 crazy 
conquistadors cross the desert, the driest desert in the world, to get to this place called Chile for the conquest. And with them was only one Spanish woman. And that woman went not for the gold or glory. She went because she was in love with the captain general. So that woman, very little is known about her. So I have the place, Chile. I have the event, the conquest, the time. And I have a character that we know very little about, so I can make her up. So 2019, you publish A Long Petal of the Sea. 2021, excuse me, you have The Soul of a Woman. Were you working on The Soul of a Woman while you were also working on Violetta, or did you just write Violetta very quickly? I wrote Violetta first, and then when Violetta was finished, I had a few months, and I wrote The Soul of a Woman. But Violetta took some time to translate. So that's why The Soul of a Woman came out first, because I wrote it in English and Spanish. So you still write in Spanish first, and then your novels. Yes, but, but if it's nonfiction, I can do both. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I, I had my computer with Spanish on one side, English on the other, and I went line by line. Oh, that's that, excellent. That's easy when it's nonfiction. But fiction evolves it grows slowly. It has many tentacles. It's like a, an octopus that, that moves organically. So I cannot do that in any other language. What do you want readers to know about Violetta? Not just the character, but this novel in general and the world it's part of. I want my readers to be entertained. And if possible, to take a look at that period, that century that was so fascinating, a time of violence and change and great steps forward for humanity. We tend to forget that. People forget, but I was born in the middle of the Second World War, in times of the Holocaust, in times of the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, in times of 50 million people displaced in Europe alone. There were no United Nations, no women's rights. All of that came in my time. The pill came in my time. And so that changed so much. So I've seen a lot of change in my lifetime. And I see that the curve of humanity, of evolution, goes up slowly and not evenly. It goes like a zigzag line. But we are evolving. We are not going back. We are better now than we were before. This is a time of people being very desperate, you know, and the the feeling that a lot is bad and the pandemic has made it worse, has sort of highlighted the worst, but a lot of good has happened and still happening and will happen. So I'm, I'm not a stupid optimist. I'm a very realistic person. And I look back, I see history. There's no past time where I would have been happier than now. Yeah, same. Have we missed anything? Is there anything you wanted to cover from this novel that I haven't asked you about specifically? Oh, I think you've asked a lot. (laughs) I I just want to make sure. I mean, I love this character and I love the world that you've created. I just, the mountain community and watching this tiny town evolve. I mean, when they first show up, they're picked up in a mule cart. The farm doesn't have electricity. When I was little, there was a cart drawn by mules that distributed milk. I'm talking Santiago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In in Santiago. So they would ring a bell 
and the housewives or, or the cooks would come out. They would measure the milk, full of flies, by the way. They would measure it with a cup and pour it in some containers. And this had to be boiled immediately because it was full of bacteria and flies and whatever. I remember the first time that there was a truck, a white truck that distributed milk in glass containers. God, that was such an advancement. It was civilization that had come. Well, and Violetta has more than one of those moments. I mean, she, it turns out, is very talented with real estate and design. I had to give her something to make her be able to, because that's the big difference with my mom. My mom had an eye for business. She would have, if she, if my stepfather or her father would have listened to her, they would have made a fortune because my mother had an eye for the neighborhood where real estate was going to be worth more in a year or in 10 years. She had an eye for, if I buy these rugs in a market in Turkey, I can sell them in South America for 10 times the value. But, but she never had the money and she never had the freedom to transform that vision into action, which Violeta does. And I would have loved my mother to be able to do that. She was a very good painter. And she could copy Mona Lisa exactly. But she never dared paint for something from the heart, something that was hers. Because nobody ever valued her work. She never trusted her own talent. And women aren't supposed to be ambitious. And for a long time, we've been told, oh, no, ambition is for men. And I look around and say, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> well, yeah, of course. And, and that, Violeta understands that very clearly when she's very young. She, she gives a couple of ideas to her brother and he improves his business. He said, no, now you pay me. I am part of it. And he said, but you are family, he says. And she says, yeah, exactly because I'm family. I loved that moment because he was absolutely taken aback. He had no idea his baby sister was going to say, excuse me, I came <laughs> up with that. I would like the credit now. Thank you very much. Do not attempt to walk away, you scofflaw. To give you an idea, this is where I started. This is 36 pages of things I've been thinking about, but I want to make sure that we've really focused on Violetta. And also, I feel like Petal didn't quite get enough love in paperback just because the timing was weird and the pandemic and everything. So I just want to make sure that I keep saying it enough so people remember that it's out. (laughs) And also, I feel this sort of the same with Soul of a Woman, that it was kind of like everyone was caught up in their stuff. And I'm like, we're talking about Isabel Allende. <laughs> but you know what? In spite of the pandemic and in spite of how quickly I've been publishing, mm-hmm. they, they, these two books have done very well. Okay, good. good. I'm glad to hear that. Okay. Yeah. I'm, and I'm and the other book, uh, the, what is the name? The Soul of a Woman? Uh, yeah, that yeah, Soul of a Woman. Because in Spanish, it has another title. Right. The, mm-hmm. the, the Soul of a Woman. Um, it's a small book, easy, easy to read in one sitting, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's been very well received by young women. Yes. So it's teenagers even. So I'm, I'm glad about that. I also love the opening line. <laughs> I've been a feminist since kindergarten. But I was. I was yep. expelled from the nuns at age six. So, <laughs> I mean, what kid at six is expelled from school? <laughs> uh, one who knows she's a feminist in a time when feminism doesn't even really have a name. 
and certainly <laughs> wasn't embraced. Though I will say props to your grandfather for understanding that, you know, marriage was convenient for men, but not necessarily a great deal for women. I was like, wow. Terrible. <laughs> My grandfather was lovely. He was a very authoritarian, but a patriarch of all times, you know, a conservative, very Catholic. But he, for example, he didn't want the women in the family to go to confession in the Catholic Church because he didn't trust the priests. So he would tell them to tell him their sins and he would take them to the priest. He would be the intermediary <laughs> to take the sins to the priest. So that was my grandfather. I had to love him. He was great. <laughs> Lots of contradictions, but I mean, yeah. that's that's the cast of Violetta as well. I mean, everyone yeah. has their contradictions. Everyone is very human in this novel, which is a fun, it really is fun to read. It is. <laughs> Violetta has some moments where you're just like, uh-huh, you're awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love you. That's what I would do. Yes. <laughs> Completely. But she's still a woman of her time and, and she reflects that change. And I think it's important to acknowledge how much this character evolves too, because she has some moments too, where she says, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way and yeah. it's kind of great to see yeah thank you isabel Allende, for oh, thank you joining thank us you today for, for taking the trouble of reading my book so carefully and for all your wonderful questions thank you oh please it was my pleasure so violetta is out now thanks so much poured over is a barnes and noble production the show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.